Welcome to Alive and Kicking, the 90s football podcast. The podcast that's more 90s than Mike Tyson taking a chomp out of Vander Olyfield's ear. Uh. My name's Ash Rose, your host and guide on this, the original 1990s football podcast. We were first, that's right. Uh, thank you very much for downloading and joining us once again on this a full-length episode. It's been a couple of weeks since we've done one of these, but uh, we're back doing a full-length one. A um, few of the schedules, always busy, busy time this time of year as we head into the festive season. Um, always want to get the best guests on as well, so it's taken a little bit longer than normal um, to get you a full-length episode out. But we haven't gone away because you've got this week in the 90s, so I hope you're enjoying our continued look back at this week in the 90s. Um, people have asked what we're going to do when we reach the year anniversary, which actually isn't that long away. I think we started this week in the 90s in February, if I remember rightly. Um, and, I, and my reply is, is, we'll just find more things that happen that we didn't talk about. So, you know, in five years' time, maybe, but we'll keep it going as long as we can talk about something in the 90s and go off on all kind of tangents that we normally do on that show. If you haven't listened already, go on the archive, as they say. Listen to This Week in the 90s. Uh, there's some classic episodes there with Joel and Matthew. In terms of the theme today, um, we're starting off a series that I think we'll go back to every now and then, um, like a, a series within a series, I guess, a bit like how we did the season countdown, um, go back in the archives again, listen to when we went through every season in the 90s. And it, it's a theme that we've bounced around a bit uh, between the boys and us, uh, trying to find out where we would start, how we would do it, um, whether we do with players or teams. Um, and it's on rivals, basically, uh, rivals of the 90s. And now I keep saying we're going to do player episodes and we are going to do one. I did a poll a couple of weeks ago and Gaza won that poll. So we will do that Gaza themed episode as well, um, probably before Christmas. Um, but yeah, we're starting the rivalry theme and we're starting uh, kind of three reasons, really, on this particular rivalry. I think firstly, I think because basically it bookends the 1990s, um, it's between Arsenal and Manchester United. Um, no, I, I think that's a pretty obvious rivalry of the 90s. And as I said, there was three reasons, that being the first. Um, the second being uh, this weekend, uh, the 20th of October is a, uh, well, 28 years. Yeah, we're in 2018. Yeah, that's the year we're in. Since the Old Trafford Brawl. Now, if you've never seen this, I implore you to go on YouTube and have a look. It's one of the most infamous sort of on-pitch brawls that has ever happened uh, between Man United and Arsenal. It was at Old Trafford um, in 1990. I think pretty much every player, bar Dave Seaman and a certain guest that we're going to talk about in a second, get involved. Teams will got points, but we'll get into the um, the crux of it when we talk to the guys in a minute. But that, that anniversary thought, okay, well, that works. So that was reason number two. And then thirdly, our guest today, which works beautifully because the other person who didn't quite get involved in the fracas at Old Trafford was Alan Smith. And I was lucky enough to talk to him uh, last week ahead of his new book, uh, Heads Up, which is on sale now, which I'm sure if you're an Arsenal fan, but if you're, I mean, I'm not an Arsenal fan, but I enjoy football autobiographies and having read some of Alan's already, it's really, really interesting. Um, I think autobiographies can be, can go one way or other, can't they? I think it depends on how much you're into it, but if it's a good story, and it, I have got a limited, and I'm interested in the subject of the, the actual person, the profession that they do, because I don't think I would be particularly interested in an autobiography of a cricketer or a golfer, because I'm not into that. But if it's a footballer, generally, I, I'm in, in, interested. But Alan Smith, and I'm not just saying this because he's a guest on today's show, it's a really interesting read, what I've read so far. So yeah, if you want, if, if Christmas coming, I'd stick Alan Smith's autobiography on your Christmas lift. But we get to chat to him, and we have some fun talking about this brawl, um, the, the famous substitution for England that night in, against Palmer in the Cup Winners' Cup, uh, kits, figures. Yeah, we, we chat a load, a load 
um, to Alan Smith. So that is the base of today's show. We are talking for the first time rivalries, and it's between Manchester United and Arsenal. And we've got a Man United and an Arsenal person in each corner uh, to defend their honour. Um, you could probably guess who they are. They're, they're definitely regulars on this show, um, but I'll reveal them when we start the show. Um, talking of Arsenal, and before we get into the meat of the sandwich of uh, rivalries, um, it one of the 90s nibs I wanted to just quickly mention that's happened between the last full-length show uh, that we did is that they've signed a new deal with Adidas for next season. Why is that prominent to a 90s football podcast? I hear you ask. No, I don't know. I know you're not asking. You know what I'm going to say. Obviously, in the 90s, Arsenal kits were made by Adidas for until 90, I want to say 95, was it? Was it the first Nike one? I think so. But they're infamous for not only some very smart home kits, um, the, the away kit that they're wearing in that brawl, the, the, the classic yellow and, and dark, 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 dark blue. Is it black or blue? I think it's very dark blue um, away kit they're wearing. But of course, there has been an, a big plea from the Arsenal fans to do some kind of homage to the one of the most famous kits of the 1990s. And that's the bruised banana, as it's called, um, from the early 90s that Alan Smith talks about as well. So hopefully Adidas have taken that on board. Although I do like, I think it's the away kit the following season. They wore it in the Charity Shield, the yellow one that's got the sash across it as well. That's another. All, I think pretty much across the board, the Adidas kits for Arsenal um, in that early 90s period are, are stellar. Uh, let's just hope they don't get thrown with a template, please. No, But uh, for the big teams, they seem to stay away from templates. So hopefully we won't see that and they'll go with some sort of homage to the Bruce Banana or something like that. I'm looking forward to seeing what Adidas do for Arsenal next season. Um, the only other bit of 90s news uh, related I wanted to mention is um, something we'll definitely talk to um, one of our guests about on another clue who it is there. I'll tell you in a minute anyway. Um, is that Panini have, uh, for the first time since 1992, won the rights to have the Premier League for license for their stickers and their cards next season. So since, I think, would have been the first uh, Premier League sticker album in 94, it's been Merlin, which then became Tops. They've since turned their stickers into a massive uh, collection called Match Attack, which I know very well in my day job because we work very closely with them at Kick Magazine, UK's biggest selling monthly football magazine for kids. But from next season, Panini are going to have their greasy mitts all over the license. So you'll see an official Premier League sticker album and cards, I imagine, for Panini next season for the first time since their football collection of 1992 uh, sticker album and the cards. I think they were called Panini 92 as well. So that is happening. So two exciting things for next season. They have a little 90s tinge to them. But let's go with something now that's more than a tinge. It's far 90s natter as we talk rivalries for the first time here on Alive and Kicking. And in the red corner, the the red and black, I suppose we'll call it. The red and black corner, we have, of course, Wills. We have our regular Matthew Christ talking Man United and the origins of the rivalry with Arsenal. And in the red and white corner... We have Mr. Panini himself, uh, author Greg Lansdowne, who will be defending and talking about Arsenal's role in the early 90s and the late 90s, the Wenger era. Um, Wasn't so much in the mid, but we'll talk about why that happened on the show. And of course, our guest, Alan Smith, talking to me this week. So enjoy the show and let me know what rivalries you'd like us to talk to on future shows. Talk about on future shows, because there's a a plethora of them that we could talk about, I think. Uh, Whether it be players, whether it be teams, managers maybe. Let us know on Twitter, at AK90s. And on Instagram, let's build that Instagram baby up and up and up. If you follow us, um, if you are on Instagram, get on AK90s pod. 
I really tried to make that feed slightly different to the Twitter feed. So the pictures you might see on there are slightly different to the pictures I sometimes put on the Twitter feed. So follow us both on there. And as always, if you uh, subscribe to us on iTunes, leave us a five-star rating and review because that always helps us out immensely. Thank you very much. But I'm Ash Rose. Enjoy the show as we talk rivalries. Sit back and enjoy a nostalgic ride through the decade that truly changed the face of football. If the 90s are now retro, then it's time for a celebration. Welcome to Alive and Kicking, the 90s football podcast. Seconds out then, it's our first rivalry show here on Alive and Kicking. And as I said in my intro, it's fell into our lap a little bit that we are doing Arsenal and Manchester United, bookending the 90s with their rivalry with a little bit in between as I'm sure we'll discuss um, but who will we be discussing it with you know who because I've said in my intro but let's give them the proper intro anyway in the red and black corner I suppose you could you could call it um, he's always here because we've given Joe a rest on international week uh, but this guy he's still with us uh, he is a writer for many plethora of outfits including the Tifo football Betfair the Sportsman lots and lots and lots Matthew Christ how you doing I feel like I'm I'm missing an arm today. I feel like there's I feel like there's something missing. No offence to uh, Greg, but it's uh, it's a it's started a very rare... Well, yeah, well, yeah, we'll we'll touch gloves in a minute, Greg. But um, no, it just it just feels odd. I dread to think what Joel's doing tonight. I really do. But I think we can all have a guess. Do we think we could go a whole show without mentioning Middlesbrough? Uh, I think we well, can. You've just ruined it now. Yeah, I think we can. <laughs> Apart from this point, I don't think there's an actual reason to mention them. I'm sure we might probably find one. Um, and that Greg that uh, Matthew mentioned there is in our red and white corner representing Arsenal. He is author of the brilliant book Stuck on You, as well as being the Panini Man, Greg Lansdowne. How you doing, buddy? Yeah, very good. Um, I, I worked out earlier this this morning that uh, this is appearance number four for me. So uh, I'm I'm becoming a bit of a bit semi, of a regular, regular well, yeah friend friend of the show you're part of the crew well you never know greg this could be uh joel might never get the call again <laughs> yeah this could be a landmark moment in the, but we we'll always need a bit of joel i think everyone needs a bit of joel young in their life sometimes yeah, that, that's his chat up line isn't it <laughs> well that's worked well, well so far is it only joking buddy if you're listening we love him we love him really um greg before we get into the the meat of the sandwich of the show we can't have you on a not talk quickly very quickly because we've got a lot to get through about the big news this week panini got the premier league stickers back didn't they exactly well they they've never had the premier league um merlin and then tops who, who bought merlin has, has always had that but uh, but for any child who grew up in the 80s panini and the the first division as it was they went hand in hand and it, it's a very special moment for for someone of my age and i'm sure matthew as well yeah, it's, it's big, big news. Yeah. Big news. Um, I, I work quite closely with Tops, and I know a little bit of what's gone on, which I can't say off, on the record. But yeah, it's been a. It's you'll, been be, a you'll, you'll be working very close to Panini, then I would suggest. Well, so. yeah, I, I, I can't say anything on that <laughs> just yet. But I, yeah, probably is the only answer I would say at that point. But yeah, it's a, it's a big move in the sticker world that we'll see next season. It'd be interesting to see what they do with the license and how they do the books and the cards and all that because Match Attacks is very popular so we'll see how that all goes but that's for 2019. We're talking 90s. We're talking two juggernauts of not just this era of any era but this is a particular era uh, where they were 
massive rivals, particularly at the each end of the decade, Arsenal and Manchester United. Um, we're going to quickly just, I mean, as I said, they were rivals throughout not just the 90s, but throughout uh, football, going all the way back to the 50s. The cup final in 79 is a big one that uh, older generations would refer to. Um, but I think this, this rivalry really kicked off once Ferguson was in there. And it always goes back to the late 80s. And Matthew, I know it's something you've touched on before, a couple of games at the back end of the 1980s involving Nigel Winterburn. This is kind of where the spice in this rivalry, this, new, this stage of this rivalry really began, wasn't it? Yeah, I mean, I think, like you said, if we go back far enough, we can take it right back decades and decades. And yeah. there was a little bit little bit of needle. Um, I'm not sure how far back Greg goes, but I know there was a little bit of needle in the uh, sort of early mid-80s with United and Arsenal, a League Cup two-legged semi-final in 83 and uh, FA Cup semi-final in 83 as well. Um, but the, the sort of line in the sand I would draw when it comes to the rivalry that we sort of know and and talk about today would be well there's two games really there was the first one I can recall was um, Ferguson's first game in charge of United against Arsenal at home in January 87 I think Arsenal were about 22 games unbeaten or something coming into the game uh, came to Old Trafford against a pretty ragtag United team um, as they were when Ferguson took over as we all know and uh, as so often was the case United beat Arsenal, which they seem to do. Whenever Arsenal seemed to have some kind of long run going on at the time, um, United seemed to be up against them and trying to stop them. And on this occasion, they did. They they beat Arsenal 2-0. Uh, Terry Gibson scored, Gordon Strachan scored, probably the two smallest players ever to play for United. Um, but it, it all kicked off. There was a, a bit of a ruckus. Um, Norman Whiteside was involved. No surprise there. And... Um, David Rodecastle was actually sent off, which is quite surprising for a lot of probably a lot of Arsenal yeah. fans, but a lot of people that remember quite a placid man, Ro- wasn't he? Rocky yeah. as a guy, yeah. But it, it, it sort of kicked off. He he was involved in a tussle with Whiteside. I think Viv Anderson got involved, and apparently Alex Ferguson said afterwards that um, when he saw Anderson react the way he did, that's when he knew he wanted to to sign him for United because he, he could tell he was a, a sort of fierce physical guy that he, that he obviously was, even though he's a lovely fella. Um, he knew how to you know, how to uh, put it about a bit. Um, so it, it, that was where the blue touch paper, I think, was was sort of uh, smouldering back back then. And then, uh, what, 12 months later, United had Arsenal away in a cup fifth round tie at Highbury. Um, a very well-known game for anyone that, that sort of remembers that era. Uh, both Liverpool running away with the league, basically. So this was a do-or-die season for both clubs. And... Um, I remember United taking about 20,000 away fans down there in the old clock end. Um, Arsenal were 2-0 up. Uh, United pulled a goal back. And then in the very last minute, United were gifted a penalty, which would have taken it to extra time. Oh, sorry, to a replay. And um, Brian McClare blazed it over the bar. I mean, I think it, I think the ball's still probably somewhere over uh, Islington somewhere now as we speak. But um, um, I'm not content with that, uh, as Greg might remember. Nigel Winterburn, as he did, as we've, we've spoken about in past episodes, took it upon himself to go up and uh, taunt McClare pretty much immediately after the kick. And there's a classic uh, pictures of him, those two in each other's faces. McClare looks like he's going to rip uh, Nigel Winterburn's head off and Winterburn's squirming like he did about 10 years later when uh, the canio went for him. <laughs> yes. Um, and no one's ever known what he said, and I think Brian McClare's never really said 
what he said, but it was evident that, it, well, I think we can guess what he said, but um, he, he lauded it uh, in Brian McClare's face. It was a, I was devastated myself, probably more so than Brian McClare was at the time. Um, but I think those two games certainly lit the blue touch paper. And if you think, what, February, March 1988 to October 1990, I mean, a lot of those players were still in those yeah. respective teams. So, I, and I mean, we're obviously going to talk about the brawl at Old Shafford in October 1990, but McClare and Winterburn were certainly the... Uh, <laughs> Certainly started things if they didn't finish it, but um, but yeah, in a snapshot, I think it was those two games at the end of the eighties that, for one reason or another, whether it was Ferguson's, I think Ferguson came into United. I think he knew that they weren't a particularly good team, but I think he thought if we can't beat them in terms of playing football, we'll try and beat them in terms of aggression and uh, needle maybe, and 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 he was good at it. He, he had a great record at getting results at places like Anfield and, and Highbury when United weren't the best team. They're not the team that we used to know in the 90s. So uh, this was probably the first um, taste we had of, of two good teams. I mean, you've got to remember that George Graham team in the late 80s was a was a good, young, ambitious team that went on to win leagues and, and became one of the best teams around. And, and obviously you had Ferguson and a, a lot a nucleus of a United team that were going to go on and win things. So I suppose it was wasn't surprising that we had the result that we did um, in 1990 and then for the rest of the decade, really. Mm. Well, Greg, let's move on then. Let's go into the 1990s and, and talk about that first game because it's actually the anniversary on Saturday, as we record this, 20th of October uh, 1990, so 28 years ago. It's called the Brawl of Old Trafford. Um, before we talk about the Brawl, what a goal by Anders Limpar. I hadn't realised that. That was, a, that was a sweet little goal for, to, to kick things off, wasn't it? Well... Yeah, there are there are some people who think it didn't cross the line, but <coughs> I'm not really sure. I think uh, I think VAR would have uh, would have adjudicated that that one was over the line. We, we we haven't got enough replays to definitively say, but it was probably more over the line than the uh, than the 1966 goal. That's for sure, and um, and fit in that that he was the the player who who would get the winner in that game because. He was the player who made the mm. difference in a, in in a lot of games. Uh, certainly in the, in the first half of that that season, when uh, when they would obviously go on to win the league in the end. Mm. And it, and he actually started well, not say started. It was with him that the brawl sort of began, didn't it? He had the ball um, on the side of the the, the left wing there. Um, <clears throat> so actually, I've got a cough, so I'm will be coughing throughout this. So I apologise. I'll try not to do it, but I've got this horrible tickly cough that I can't get rid of. Um, the scuffle started uh, with Limpar on the ball. Dennis Irwin came in with a questionable tackle that led Nigel Winterburn to tackle Irwin, which then prompted Brian McClare, as we've already talked about. There's already been some needle between them two. And then all of a sudden, everybody, literally everybody, bar David Seaman, piles in. Um, but to be honest, Greg, when I was watching it, it wasn't as bad as I remembered. It's a lot of handbags well, at dawn, isn't it? I think it's I think it's because you can't see everything. So, yeah. again, if, if we mention Anders Limpa... Uh, Paul Ince, uh, being the brave man that he was, decided to pick on the uh, the, the toughest Arsenal player of Anders Limpar and and push him over an advertising hoarding. Now you've obviously you've got you've got Tony Adams and, and Steve Bold and, and people like that, but no, he's gonna he's gonna go for Anders Limpar. I mean that's that's that, that, that's an equal battle that that one, but and and you don't really see that one, and and he, and Anders Limpar ends up getting booked. 
Did, did um, Ince went over the advertising board as well, didn't he? I, I don't even remember, Greg, but I think... I don't, I don't it, think... I think probably because he... That, by, by, by force of uh, pushing Anders Limpar over. I'm not, not sure he actually got pushed over himself, did he? Uh, yeah, I think he went over as well. And then he came back on with a bit of a vengeance and, and <laughs> was a bit embarrassed and sort of flew yeah. back onto the pitch, yeah. basically looking to take it out on... Um, on anybody yeah. else that was there, as of sort of. I think there's, there's there's definitely a lot that uh, that you don't see from the television camera. And Paul Paul Davis is fairly heavily involved, but again, you wouldn't know by by looking at, at the footage. And but but to be honest, it, in 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 terms of why Arsenal got uh, deducted two points, it was it was more to do with the fact that they were really on notice following the uh, the Norwich brawl the, the season before, yeah. which uh, which was. Probably as bad. I was uh, that, that that was in the corner of the ground where I was, and I, I think because they're all stuck in the goal net, it was harder for anyone, everyone, to get out. So uh, so it, it seemed seemed to go on a bit longer, and uh, it was a, a tense game, four three, and and then then from there it was a case of that the next time something happened with Arsenal, uh, they were going to they were going to be in trouble. So in in that respect, you could probably say that Man United were a bit unlucky, but but then again. When, when you look at 86, 87, 87, 88, it's been going on between them for a long time. It, it, it probably had to be nipped in the bud in, in both parts. And I think if Arsenal had got deducted two points and Manchester United nothing, then I think there really would have been uproar. Mm. Matthew, I mean, what, what did you think looking back on, on this brawl? Um, it's something we wouldn't see now. And if we did, I think Twitter would explode. But, I mean, it was kind of... <laughs> You know, you saw scuffles on the pitch, but I mean, this was really like literally everyone, even though Alan Smith, who we talked to in a bit, claims he wasn't involved. But I, I did spot him there. But it, it, it was literally everyone on that pitch bar David Seaman, wasn't it? Yeah. And it's it's easy to sort of look back and mock. But I tell you what, if you look at the players involved there, I mean, I know we, we've just we have just mocked Paul Ince. But I mean, you've got Brian McClare, who, you know, Chucky, was, he was a... You know, he, he would uh, stand his ground. You had Mark Hughes, you had Tony Adams, I think you had uh, Steve Bold, you had... I mean, fortunately for Keith Hackett, the referee, Brian Robson wasn't playing that day because I'd love to have seen what would happen if he had, he'd been there. You had Paul Davis. You, I mean, these these were proper, you know, I don't want to... I was going to say proper men, which is a bit... I don't mean it like that. But, you know, these were guys that were, weren't afraid to kick lumps out of each other. We're not talking about the, the modern-day era where... A push in the chest would I mean if that was now you'd have every, 21 of those players would be rolling around on the yeah. floor holding their face I mean as it turned out I don't think many players actually ended up on the floor I mean from what I remember it did go over the boards with Limpa and then they both came back on to carry on the proceedings a bit like a, a Royal Rumble you know they didn't go over the top rope so they came <laughs> back in to to finish the job um and you know you had Pallister you had you know these guys were big Guys that weren't afraid to uh, to square up to each other, and, and they didn't. And yeah, you know, there was no there was no uh, failing injury. There, I mean, it was push and shove. But um, yeah, yeah, you can you can mark and you can say, oh, it didn't look that bad. But if you think about it, if you think twenty one players now pushing and shoving and 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 you know, Palace had his arm around someone's neck at throat at one point. I think Neil Webb was involved. Yeah, these were it would have carried on. I mean, I, I, I heard. Um, the referee Keith Hackett talking about the events, and he, he was saying that he instead of he, he he was basically given two choices. One was to stand back and watch and wait for it to all fizzle out, and then he could take action or do what he did do and was trying get try and get in, in between the players. And he basically thought, well, I've got to do something because it's not going to just fizzle out. I mean, now 
there would be one pushes the other, a player gets involved, and then they'd all jockey and and uh, sort of it would all fizzle out. But but then it was, I don't know where it would have ended up. It probably ended up in the car park the way it was going. But it was, it, it definitely if you watch it back, it it was definitely yeah. McClare on Winterburn because Irwin goes to ground, Winterburn goes in. I think the ball gets stuck between Irwin's legs, and McClare just goes in there like a. Well, he's obviously got the scores assessed because, mm. <clears throat> as we discussed, and uh, and then everyone took exception to it. But um, I know. I mean, I'd say it's easy to mock and laugh and go, "Well, was it that bad?" But I think I wonder whether we've seen anything really to that extent. That seriousness in of, recent years? No, not of not of so many players. I can. It's it's not been many occasions you've seen it in that era. Let alone, it's just the fact that they all jumped in. You see, kind of you know three or four, maybe five or six players getting involved. Um, West Ham Arsenal when uh, Patrick Vieira spat at Neil Ruddock. I remember that being quite a few yeah. few of players. But to see the whole team bowl the, the opposition goalkeeper is is quite unique. But what, also unique, Greg, as well as no one actually saw red. I mean, that that's is that a, a fair assessment? Because Keith Hackett couldn't see who was the biggest culprit. Do you think that's why no one actually saw a red card? Well, I, I think if you. Um... If you look back to to some of the uh, the biggest incidents of the nineties involving Arsenal and Manchester United, it seems that uh, there's, there's, there were so many players who, who could have got red cards. I was looking at the uh, the ninety six ninety seven game at, at Highbury, and uh, and Ian Wright really should have been sent off in that one. Um, then there was the uh, the game in in ninety nine at. Uh, at again at, at Highbury when both the air and Keane should have got sent off for, for, for raising their hands. Um, so it, it, it seems to me that the referees are actually very lenient in uh, in games be, between those teams. And, and to be honest, all, all for the better, really, because because everybody remembers the match-up between Keane and Vieira over that over the course of it. Yeah. And if, yeah. they're gonna well, send them, if they're going to send them off after 20 minutes, then, then we're going to lose a lot of the theatre that, that, that happened over that course. I was going to say, Greg, I did listen to Keith Hackett. Uh, I've given the credit um, yeah, from the Pink. Football, football yeah. Pink podcast that was out this week. Uh, Mr. Hackett was on there giving a great account of the, the events of that day. And he, he basically said that was his his view. He thought if he went in there and, and sent off three or four players, which he could have easily done, he said that the, the fans would have basically been ripped off and they wouldn't, and not just this game, but games subsequently. He said if you go in and send players off after God knows how long, you know, you're going to miss players like, well, Robson wasn't playing that day, but, you know, Vieira would have, could have been sent off. Robson, Keane, Bruce, Pallister, Schmeichel, Ian Wright, you know, they could have all been sent off in any of these games after 10 minutes. And if that's the case, then it's just going to ruin it. So his view was, and I, I agree with it and respect it, was basically, look, let's get on with it. Unless something terrible happens, dust yourself down and we'll get on with it play the game and we sort it out after the match which is basically what happened in this game so I think only two players got booked didn't they um, Winterburn got a yellow card and McClare I think wasn't it and, and Limpar Limpar Limpa, Limpa, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah Limpar as well yeah, yeah. But, you... um, but from a sorry from, from an Arsenal point of view supporters point of view you want to see that because over the well it's getting on for 40 years now that I've been supporting them the, the periods when they've been successful is when they, they've had a bit of edge. They've had the attitude. So Arsenal won the league this year. They, they won the league in the Invisibles year when they was, there was an incident at Old Trafford. It's not a coincidence. 
Mm. No, I think every, I think every, um, I think every football fan would agree, Greg. I think every, every team, every fan wants to see um, their, their their team have these players. I mean, and I don't know if you remember. I'm sure you do, Greg. But there was a video footage of uh, George Graham the Monday after the yeah. the incident where he sort of gets all the players together at the training ground at um, London Colney and basically mm. uses it to to their advantage, saying, "Right, look, we've been." We're going to get done here. We're going to get screwed by the FA or Football League. I suppose it would have been. Um, right. You know, let's. It's them against us. We'll uh, we'll show them. And, and ultimately, they had two points deducted, which I th- believe put Arsenal eight points off Liverpool at the time. Yeah, and they yeah, still I mean, and they still won the league. An all start to that that season. They, they yeah, well, it was their best start, wasn't it? They won eight uh, eight in a row. I think was yeah, it. Yeah, I've got all my notes. Yep, yeah, eight in a row. Yep. Yeah. yeah, and. Obviously, Arsenal only lost one that season, didn't they? So, yeah. um, but I mean, if you think now, if, if you get deducted two points and it puts you eight points off the leaders in, at the end of October, game over, they would it? say yeah. that was it. But yeah. in fairness to Arsenal and George Graham, he used that to to his advantage, and um, yeah, they only went on to lose one more game and, and won the league. So it's it, it doesn't it isn't always the worst thing that can happen. Mm. Well, let's just tie a bow on that then. As uh, Greg alluded to, both teams were deducted points. As he said, uh, Arsenal lost two points and United lost one. They also both fined £50,000 each. Um, in-house, uh, Dennis Irwin, Brian McClare and Paul Lintz were allegedly fined, uh, as well as Arsenal finding Winterburn, Limpar, Thomas, Rowcastle and Davis, and George Graham as well, who got fined £9,000, which is... Um, you know, a bit unfair. I don't think he was terribly involved, but I think as the as the man in charge, and as you said, Greg, it was uh, also off the back of that Norwich uh, scuffle as well that, that they took that fine into it. Um, before we move on to look at, we're going to skim through some of the seasons because uh, we'll be here all night. But there were two more games in that same season. Firstly, coming to you, Matthew, there was a League Cup game just weeks later. Um, I remember watching this on a Wednesday night on Sports Scene. That used to be the late night programme. There was no match of the day or something. What, Sports Round, well, Sports Scene? Would it not have been midweek Sports Special, I think? Sports, something like that. I just remember watching yeah, Oh, yeah, it would have definitely been, mid, definitely been midweek Sports Special. It would have definitely been Brian Moore, surely, yeah. being a London... London so, yeah, yeah, I just remember so unique at the time to watch being allowed to stay up and watch uh, a midweek um, football. And it was the League Cup game between Arsenal and Manchester United at Highbury. And Matthew, this one really went the way of United. And uh, there was there was quite a sedated atmosphere in terms of because it was only weeks after this brawl. But in terms of front of goal, you went a bit goal crazy that night, didn't you? Yeah, and something else you've forgotten to mention there as well. The kit that United were wearing that I was coming that to night. that. I was coming oh. to that. But yeah, I, I I have to say there's a there's a, an element of United fans of a certain vintage. I include myself in, in this that looks back at this night as a, obviously United weren't the fantastic team that they went on to become later on in this decade. But there's that League Cup run and this game particularly was the first glimpses of the United team under Ferguson that could really attack and blow teams apart. And um, and they certainly did this night because you know Arsenal were. A force, they really were. I mean, in the league, they were basically unstoppable under George Graham. They only lost that one game, famously. They were had a fantastic defence. They were, you know, they were they were a machine in football. And for United to go there and, and do what they did that night, um, obviously there was a, some youngsters playing Lee Sharp, uh, famously. Um, it was a real eye opener. And um, obviously now, if it happened, it would be uh, the biggest thing going, and everyone would be saying that that. They're going to go on and win win the lot, but it wasn't really like that at the time. It was more a sort of quiet. 
uh, I wouldn't say confidence, but acknowledgement that there's a there's something a change in that United team from the previous couple of seasons where United were pretty workmanlike and and you know you had players like Whiteside and McGrath and and Robson and Stapleton and you're all great players in my eyes, but they they suddenly clicked in this game and it and it, it was quite something else to see the way that they uh, blew this Arsenal team apart. I don't know how it felt for um, Greg on the North Bank there, but um, it was a it was a well, heck of a yeah. I mean, obviously three 0 down at half time is not the, not the best, but uh, when they brought it back to three two, I think we all thought that uh, well, this is it. Yeah, I think yeah, I agree. Gonna, I did. We're going to pull it back, but uh, it wasn't to be. But what what I what I most remember is uh, walking out after the game, thinking, uh, well, Arsenal's so-called uh, resilient back four that they've been found out, and uh, how how on earth are they going to recover a few days later playing Liverpool, uh, obviously top of the league at the time, and uh, did they recover? They, they beat them three nil. So. It, I mean, all, all all credit to them. Six goals in one game and beating the uh, the, the, the champions elect three 0 a few few days later. And uh, I mean, some some teams don't don't get over de- defeats like that, and it and it really unsettles them for for months on end. So at, at least uh, at least credit to Arsenal for that for for coming back quickly. Mm-hmm. Can I I just say do do you think that team that Arsenal ninety ninety one team was slightly underrated, Greg? Because I do. Well, any team that that loses one game, I mean, and not only did they only lose one game, they lost their their captain, went went to prison, um, which is is obviously massive. Um, And they were taking on a Liverpool team who, 87, 88, they were one of the best teams ever. Then, Then Arsenal won it. The following year, Liverpool got it back and... It looked to all intents and purposes that Liverpool going to going to do it again in 1991, and you know they, they say that it was Man United who, who knocked Liverpool off their perch, but but really it was it was Arsenal and, and George Graham's team because if, if it wasn't for Arsenal, Liverpool would have, would have walked away with the league again that that season. Mm. Um, it's, it's, a, uh, it's something Alan Smith says. Ten goals conceded, and mm. it's something Alan Smith says when you you hear in the interview in a bit um, that that team obviously they lost that one game against Chelsea that season were underrated um, but going back to that uh, 6-2 as well it was it's it's so unusual and for anyone who's listened to this who wasn't around in the 90s and just likes hearing about these memories the the league cup was a massive deal at that point and you can see that in this game it's not just a 6-2 where Arsenal had fielded the youngsters and May United had fielded a B team um, you know these were even though Lee Sharp played Lee Sharp was a big player at the time even though he was 19 he was expected to be the next big thing it didn't quite work out for him but Mark Hughes played scored in this game Danny Wallace who was a big player at the time it, it struck me just how important it showed the league cup was and yes the other thing I was going to say about this this game is that beautiful best ever Man United United away kit. I always remember that, and Lee Sharp dancing in it um, when he scored uh, his hat trick. That famous Lee Sharp dance. Um, let's just quickly go to the final game of that season. Then we'll, um, quickly go to Greg. It was um, Arsenal three, Manchester United one. Alan Smith with a hat trick. This was just days after you clinched the title, and there was May United giving you the guard of honour. So it was quite ironic to see the start of the season these two teams brawling, and by the end of it, you're walking out with them clapping you. Yeah, actually, it wasn't uh, wasn't days after. It was it was the day. I was uh, I remember sitting in the car with my dad uh, a few hours before the game was due to kick off, listening to Forest versus Liverpool, Ian Wones winner, and uh, we, we we clinched the game in the car. So uh, you can imagine what kind of a walk to the ground that that was, knowing you've already won the league, you can relax because 
otherwise they, they would still have had to have got something from that game but uh, it didn't matter of course it was uh, it was nice to it was nice to to win the game and, and as, as far as Ian uh, Alan Smith was concerned he was going for the golden boot so th- those three goals are important for him but um what I'd what I didn't realize because being, being at the game uh, I, I watched the uh, the highlights recently and uh, Gary Lineker was was co-commentator yeah, for I noticed I- that yeah yeah, and uh, obviously, uh, as a Tottenham player at the time, he must have been delighted to commentate on that one. Yeah, early signs of the Gary Lineker we know now, which I still think is an overrated TV presenter. But hey ho, um, that was so. That was Arsenal's season. Obviously, they finished the season as champions of the first division. Um, I'm going to kind of just gloss over 91, 92, unless you guys have got anything to say. I mean, no, please do. Two one-one draws, nothing really of note for that season. Um, I, well, I would I would mention David Rowcastle's goal. Of course, yeah, I was going to say. David yeah. Rowcastle scored in both games, um, well remembered and a great goal um, in the uh, the away leg at old away leg away game at Old Trafford. Um, it's obviously a season you hate as well, Matthew, isn't it? So that's we won't have yeah. to talk too much about. Yeah, that. I will say it was a brilliant goal, though. absolutely yeah. fantastic goal. Yeah, they're, they're, uh, what I found going through these games, it's they're full of goals you forget that were of these games. You would there, there's lots and lots of great goals in these games over over the decade in the nineties between these two teams. Obviously everyone remembers the Giggs one which we'll get to at the end, but there's some others we'll cover as we go through. It's some really, really great goals and that Rowcastle one is up there with the best of them. 92-93, the first Premier League season. Uh, the first meeting was on the 28th of November, 92. And it was a 1-0 win at Highbury for Man United, wearing another one of my favourite kits, the tree bark kit, as uh, John Devlin calls it. That was a goal bundled in by Mark Hughes. Uh, and then a 0-0 at Old Trafford um, uh, later in the season, 24th of March, 1993. But it was a season where both teams ended pretty pretty happy, seeing as United won the league and Arsenal did the cup double, although they did finish 10th. Uh, in the league and then they met in the Charity Shield the following season Um, Charity Shields aren't you know the most competitive games Greg but this was kind of a fun one Dave Seaman missing in the end was the crucial point wasn't it yeah that well that 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 probably summed it up but uh, what what was significant for that game was that uh, Ian Wright scored against Manchester United uh, which was otherwise unheard of in an Arsenal shirt it wasn't in a Palace shirt I know that no, no, that, that was that, that was the only goal he scored against uh, against Manchester United for Arsenal. Mm, yeah, indeed it was. We'll get to him in a bit. Um, Arsenal wearing one of my favourite kits there as well. The, the sash, do love the sash. Um, the two games that season here again. We're going back to great goals, and this is one I completely forgot about actually. And well, I remember the goal, but it just it didn't hit me that it was Arsenal until I watched it again. This was on the nineteenth of September, nineteen ninety three. Man United won Arsenal nil. The first mention of Mister Eric Cantona and one of the best free kicks of the decade, wasn't it, Matthew? Yes. <laughs> uh, tell, tell me was, more about it. It was one of it was one of many. I mean, I remember Irwin scoring a brilliant one at, at Anfield, not far off around then. But no, it was just. I mean, when, how far out was it? It was it was twenty yards, twenty five yeah, yards, maybe a bit more. Yeah. Um, and there was obviously a wall, and you had a keeper centre of the. I mean, how that went in, but it was the sheer. It, it was just like a. Well, it was like an arrow. I mean, it was a cliche, but it wasn't. It just, it just absolutely flew in. He didn't. There was none of this. Um, now they would say, "Oh, it's not. It's too close to get up and over the wall and all this." He didn't care about that. He just, just stood up and hit it as hard as he could, and it flew into the net. And it was a, yeah, it's a brilliant goal. And the fact he had that Lineker-esque, yeah, cast um, on his, arm. Yeah, yeah, bandage on his arm, and he sort of wheeled away, 
disappointing. It just uh, that was sort of iconic. And another one of your favourite kits as well, wasn't it? The bootlace kit. Bootlace kit, yeah. These early um, kits are all coming out, yeah. It was, uh, yeah, that was sort of, that was when Premier League really started becoming the Premier League that we hark back to now, wasn't it? That's sort of, those sort of iconic images of uh, things like that. And, and you still had the old and the new and the, like we said before, it further on in the years of the Premier League, it all, it all became a bit sort of... Glossy. G- glossy and generic, yeah. but you still had... You still had your big old-fashioned defenders that weren't afraid to lump players like Kansar, and you still had different goal nets and different kits and different. You still had grounds that were being redeveloped, and uh, it just, yeah, it was a, you know, going off on a tangent, but it was a brilliant free kick. Yeah, it reminded me of kind of Chris Waddle's free kick at Wembley um, in the Sheffield Steel derby um, the season yeah. before. It was a bit, it was more of an arrowed free kick and a bit like Gazza's actually in 91. But yeah, it was a proper, proper free kick, that one. Um, the return fixture, we're going to split hairs here, aren't we? Uh, 22nd of March, 1994, Arsenal 2, Manchester United 2. Um, this, again, was all about Eric Cantona, Greg, but the ugly side of Eric Cantona. Yeah, I mean, when you when you watch Sky and, and they, they show all these classic games, if if this game had been a live game, then they would be showing this over and over again. And it, it's interesting to actually see how few times Arsenal-Manchester United was shown as a, as a Sky live game in the, in the first uh, four or five seasons of the Premier League. I'm not, I'm, I'm not, I'm not sure why that was the case, but I, I think there was only one, one game, which, which was the Eric Carr one, up till 96-97. Um, I, think, I think that was it. Uh, which which is astonishing for for a game as mm. big as Arsenal Man United, but um, no, I mean it was a it was a good game in its own right. Arsenal at that time were were more of a cup team. They were they were going for the the Cup Winners Cup, which they would go on to win that that season, and obviously Man United were going to win the league. But um, it was it, it was end to end. Arsenal fought back after going behind, and. Um, Man United run under the cosh at the end, and um, I, I thought because because Matthew had um, we've been discussing it earlier, and he said that uh, Eric Cantona was a bit unlucky to, <laughs> to be sent off. So I, I thought I'd just uh, refresh myself because I couldn't find the video. I, I saw it at the time, but obviously your your mind does play tricks. So I thought I'd try and get a match report, and, and I'll, I'll read this from the Independent from from the time. Uh, United were second best for the last half hour. Their discomfort evident when Cantona was cautioned for fouling Selly, mm. then sent off two minutes later when he launched himself into, into successive reckless lunges at Tony Adams and Nigel Winterburn. So that, that, that probably suggests to me that he could probably have been sent off twice. Mm. The case of the yeah, defence, well, the, the fact it was Nigel Winterburn, obviously <laughs> I'm going to say he was not guilty. But, <laughs> no, what, to put it into context, what, what we mentioned this earlier off, uh, off record, um, Obviously, a few not long before this. Well, it was the week before this, wasn't it? Um, Cantona had been sent off away at Swindon, uh, Swindon for yeah. stamping on John Moncur. A game I was at, I was in the, behind the goal. And, and it was a pretty disgusting tackle. Well, it wasn't really a tackle, was he? Moncur had his legs wrapped around him. I think he knew what he was doing. And Cantona stamped down on his chest. Mm. Um, then this was the midweek game following. And there's a strange anecdote about this game. I was going to United home and away all the time in these days. And I couldn't get a ticket for Arsenal away. So I, I typed up a letter with a stamped addressed envelope and a blank check. And I wrote to Arsenal Football Club, blah, 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 and said, please find my enclosed check. I would like a ticket for Manchester United home game on whatever the date was. And to my, 
much to my surprise, the letter, the, my stamped address envelope came back about a week later with a ticket in it and a, the cheque had been cashed for about £15. And I ended up in the, uh, well, it wasn't the director's box, but it was behind the old dugouts of, of Highbury, you know, the old, classic old mm, sort yeah. of greenhouse dugouts. So, I mean, again, how you could, I mean, now, maybe you could do it these days. I haven't tried, but I, I'd love to know what would happen. But somehow somebody must have opened my letter and thought, oh, okay, uh, there's a ticket. So that's where I was sat, trying to sit in on my hands because it was a thrilling game, but I was trying not to show my allegiance. But the the tackle was over on the far side as I looked at it. And when it happened, everyone thought, oh, Cantona, what's he doing? We all thought he'd done exactly the same as he'd done with Moncur. We thought he'd gone in and stamped and he got sent off and it was a long walk back and he walked back towards where I was in the, in the main stand and everyone thought, all I'll say is, if you can ever see a video of that tackle, I suppose in today's game, it would be seen as reckless, but he sort of went in for a bit of a, he went in for a first tackle and the ball ricocheted off. And then he went for a second one where he sort of went for a block tackle. And it was more of a collision, I would say, than a, it wasn't, I am trying desperately to defend him here. And I, <laughs> but I, think I just, having been booked as well, if, if, you know, I mean, obviously if, if it's, it's easy to say it uh, when you sat in the stand, but, if, I'm sure the pundits would say at the time, well, he's, he's been booked. Why, why, why yeah. are you going to a challenge like? Well, why are you going into two challenges like that yeah. when when you know that you're, you're almost certainly going to get another booking for that? Yeah, I, I, I mean, I'm obviously in the sort of cold light of day. Yeah, it was, but it wasn't in the as it happened at the game. Everyone, it was a real, and everyone thought he'd gone in sort of studs up, chest high, and and. And decapitate. Who was he got the second time? Was it Winterburn or Adams? The yes, second I, I think Adams then Winterburn. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, right, we, should, should we just say <laughs> it wasn't it wasn't the worst thing he did in over those seven days? Yeah. No, it well, wasn't. And sure. it, was, yeah. it, it certainly wasn't. And, and obviously, you know, we're talking of a time when, I mean, the wheels were coming off slightly for United as well at this point. I don't know if you remember, but they had been blazing away with the mm. league, and then they got to February March and they started to drop points. They dropped points at Swindon two two, and then. The drop points here, and it started to all look like it was going to uh, cave in on them. And I uh, say, so well, yes, it was probably a second yellow. Or, or it, I mean, then maybe not. Now certainly yes, but it it wasn't the villa. I think as Cantona trooped off that day or that night, everyone thought that's it. He's he's really done it this time. But I can. If you ever get to see the challenge, which I couldn't, I no, was looking no, today, yeah, I couldn't find it either. It, it, it's more of a sort of he goes in with his leg up to sort of block the ball and, and goes it. You know, I'm, I'm clutching at straws, but it wasn't a. It was nowhere near a John Moncur or a, um, Matthew Simmons incident. It, it wasn't. It was. It was a, 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 a temperamental, hot-headed footballer trying to win the ball back in a in a blood and thunder game. I mean, it, it, that's all I'm. That's all I'm saying. I'm not going to. I'm not going to yeah. claim he didn't it was, deserve it. It was the first needle in those teams since '91, though, wasn't it? And they'd gone a few seasons of quite sedation before, and it was the first bit of needle we'd seen um, in the in the rivalry at, at that point. Um, there were goals on the day: Palace have scored an own goal, and Paul Merson for Arsenal, and then two more for Lee Sharp, who I found out through this decade loved a loved a goal against Arsenal in this early part yeah. of the nineties. Um, but yeah, so that ended two-two that one. Um, going on then to the next couple of seasons, again, it wasn't. Uh, as much 
needle and as much riding on it before the pre-Wenger era. Um, 94-95, there was a goalless draw uh, in November 94, um, and then the return fixture, 22nd of March 95, May United, quite convincing victory over Arsenal with goals from Mark Hughes, can Chelsea's and Lee Sharp once again, which was the start of an eight-match unbeaten run, which sadly didn't make a difference in the end, as we've talked about in that title race. Um, I don't know if you A 3-0 boys... game is, a, is an interesting one, though, because Although, although Arsenal were, uh, were by far the weaker team from uh, from '92 to, to, to until Arsene Wenger arrived, every other game was very tight. Yeah. Whereas this this was the one um, where the golfing class uh, really told, and George Graham had had, uh, had just gone, and uh, and I, I refreshed myself on the uh, on the Arsenal lineup that that day, and uh, it was Vince Bartram in goal. Oof. Steve Morrow midfield, Chris Kawamia up front, and Glenn Helder on a sub. Obviously, they did have eight other players in the starting lineup, but I think if you're looking at that as a spine, it's it's and and then you look at the Manchester United team that day, which apart from Eric Cantona was um, was a team full of top class internationals. Then. It, the, the only surprise is that it was only 3-0. Mm. You mentioned Steve Morrow and Chris Kawamia there, um, Greg. Two players who went on to play for another glorious London team later <laughs> in the decade as well. To oh, not, exactly. To, to not much hurrah. Well, no, like we never you... had... No, we never... It sounds like we should have, but no. Yeah, definitely. Uh, oh, G- I'm, I'm, I'm thinking of Lee, Lee, Lee Harper. Harper. Yeah, Lee Harper. Yeah, because yeah, we had Lee Harper, Matthew Rose and Chris yeah. Kawamia and Steve Morrow at some point. Um, funny that we had Stuart yeah. Houston as our um, a manager at that point, wasn't it? Um, yes. <laughs> we were Arsenal reserves. Um, mm. 95 96, uh, again, two 1-0 games, as you say, Greg, very tight. Uh, Arsenal yeah. beating United in the November, 4th of November 95, with a Dennis Burkamp goal. And May United wearing that grey kit. There's a game that you don't remember him wearing a grey kit from. Um, it's not the Southampton game. Uh, and then return fixture, 20th of March 1996, May United 1-0, Eric Cantona. This was the start of a run where they won seven of their last eight games en route to the double. Uh, things step up a gear in the following season as we go to the Arsene Wenger era. Um, the first game, maybe not so much. It was the May United 1, Arsenal nil, a Winterburno goal, which I put smiles on the faces of the United fans probably, um, especially as it came off the back of three defeats, the Chelsea game, the famous Newcastle 5 nil, and the Southampton 6-3. Um, but the 19th of February 1997, um, I was on a school trip in Paris. Yep, here goes my holidays again. Um, at Euro Disney, and I watched this in a uh, in a hotel with my. Not friends. a log cabin. No, I was in a house and in some hotel with school, um, watching this game. Um, this is famous for the Ian Wright Peter Schmeich- uh, Schmeichel clash um, during the two uh, one win for Manchester United. Uh, Matthew, have we talked about this before? Did we talk about this on this week is in the nineties? We we have, yeah, and I think I remember saying that all I really remember about it was that incident. Well, I don't, obviously, because I've, I've looked at it since, but we were talking about that, that tackle stroke yeah. challenge from, from Ian Wright. And, uh, well, I mean, allegedly, Peter Schmeichel had said something to him that he, he took exception to and uh, went in hard and they had to be separated, didn't they, after, as they were going down the tunnel or, or something. But, I mean, I wouldn't want to go in hard like that on Peter Schmeichel and get the consequences obviously Ian Wright was wound up enough to to do so but um I mean I don't know whether Greg knows any more about what what yeah, was it about yeah, or... yeah it, well, it was actually the previous game uh November 96 where uh Peter Smichael was accused of uh, racially abusing Ian Wright for for a challenge in that game um and then it was rumbling on 
leading up to 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 the return game, um, and I I was uh, I was rewatching the, the the game earlier, and um, it's it's clear that uh, there's there was something on Ian Wright's mind. Mm. If you if, if you go through the second half, um, he did a very bad tackle on on Irwin, which in this day and age would have uh, at least potentially drawn a, a, a red card. He then had a goal disallowed and obviously n- never scored against uh, Peter Smichael in a in a competitive game. Then he went over the top on on Smichael when the whistle had gone, and then he missed with a header near the end, which would have uh, which would have brought the game level. So uh, not 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 one of his uh, finest hours, and um, he, he does mention it in his. Uh, in his in his autobiography, that um, Sir Alex Ferguson then later went went to him and uh, said to him that I'm I'm surprised I didn't think you were the type of person that would play the play the race card, and um, and Ian Wright said he, he lost a lot of respect for Sir Alex Ferguson after that. So so those 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 two games had a lot more to it than uh, perhaps met the eye. Mm. Do we know if they ever made it up? I mean, I don't know if they ever come across each other in punditry. To, you know, situations. Not I can recall. I've got a note here that says Wright and Schmeichel settled their differences, but there's no example given. But I'm sure they have. Um, what it did do, it did light the talk, the touch paper on Wenger and then Ferguson um, this season, especially when Wenger advised the Premier League uh, <laughs> to not extend the season to help ease Man United's fixture congestion. To which Ferguson yeah. publicly reported, maybe you should concentrate on Ian Wright's tackles rather than Man United. He's at a big club. Well, Arsenal used to be a big club, and maybe next year he could be in the same situation. I wondered what his story would be then. And this also came off the back of um, Alex Ferguson's famous quote of uh, Arsene Wenger upon his arrival in English football when he said he has no experience of English football. He could come from Japan, emphasising it. Uh, and now he's, on, he's in English football and he's now he's telling everybody in England how to organise their football. So this really was, Greg, the, the, the moment that I think this this new rivalry within this 90s rivalry began, wasn't it, this season? Yeah, I mean, it's great from an Arsenal perspective that, um, that he saw Arsenal as, as a threat because uh, obviously... As as time went on in in their uh, in their struggles, he clearly didn't see Arsenal as a threat, and and he he ended up really patronising Arsenal and Arsene Wenger, and probably the uh, summed up by uh, by making out that what 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 a great negotiator he was in selling Robin van Persie to him. Yeah, yeah, that's such a good negotiator that van Persie won the league for Man United, Manchester United the following year. Well, let's, we'll keep it 90s, but yeah, it does go on into the next decade. Um, before we talk about the next two following seasons, which were big seasons in both camps, let's go to our interview. We're keeping it with the theme this week as well. Um, I was lucky enough to speak to um, somebody who was involved in, very much involved, we mentioned him a few times already, Alan Smith, especially in the early part of the decade. He has a brand new book out, as I said in my intro. If you like your autobiographies, I recommend it highly. I've, I've read a portion of it already, and it's really entertaining, and I'm not an Arsenal fan, as you all know uh, it's called heads up please do check it out um so here's me talking to alan smith former arsenal and england and yes we do ask him about sweden 92 talking to us earlier this week joining me on the line an absolute pleasure a massive name uh particularly part of the early part of the 1990s mr alan smith former arsenal striker how you doing alan i'm good thank you mate well good to speak to you and um, we're going to take you back to that p- part of your career in just a second but you've got a new book out Heads up, uh-huh. it's called. Um, tell us why now you decided to, to release autobiography. It just seemed like the right time. I'd finished writing for the Daily Telegraph. I, I'd uh, worked for them for 20 years. That came to an end. And 
I kind of always had it in my mind. I'd maybe write one and write it myself because, as I say, I've, I've always written. Um, and there was there was a gap there, so I thought, why not? Uh, let let's plough in. Uh, and it was a rewarding experience. I enjoyed it and enjoyed it even more when it comes out and you can just see it as the finished article. Uh, quite emotional exercise, really, mm. to look back on your life like that. But I, I'm really pleased with the outcome. Mm. I'm, I'm halfway through it and I'm a big, I'm a big fan of biographies and I'm, I'm really enjoying it so it's, it's great to talk oh, to you good. and uh, talk a bit about these points that I've come across already um, we are a 90s podcast but it'd be remiss of me to not talk about a game you've probably talked about hundreds and hundreds of times in your career the 89 at Anfield let's quickly just touch on that I mean I'm sure you've talked about it a million times but best game you've possibly ever played in yeah I think so it was just going to be so difficult to top that and a few of us realised that in the dressing room afterwards. We looked at each other and we just thought, well, we might as well retire now. How, how's anything going to be better than this? Um, so just the circumstances of it. Most people know uh, how it was. The two teams vying for the title at the end of the season after everybody else had finished. A uh, game had been put to the back of the calendar due to the Hillsborough tragedy. So the two, the two teams vying for the title. I mean, Liverpool were a great side, uh, mm. a fantastic team. Back then, uh, Barnes, Rush, Hansen, Beards, Lee Aldridge. I mean, they were a magnificent team. And so to go up there and try and win by two, it just seemed uh, impossible. Uh, and then, of course, to, to get the winning goal in the last seconds, it was, it was the stuff of, of dreams, of films. And they made a film of it, a very good one, 89. Um, and it was just a pleasure, a privilege to be involved in, to be honest. You know, the further away you get from it, uh, the more... Uh, honoured you feel to have taken part in such an uh, iconic game in English football history as well as Arsenal's uh, history um, everybody wants to talk about it um, everybody remembers where they were those yeah. that were old enough to uh, on that night on that Friday night so great memories is that the, the biggest celebrations post-match you've ever been part of as well uh, probably I mean we had to come back down on the coach afterwards yeah. so we, we had a few had a few beers on the way down. I mean, the coach journey seemed to go like a flash as, as the cars were beeping the horns and everybody was hanging out the windows and the sunroofs. And but I mean, it wasn't very glamorous when we got back to London. We went to a snooker club in uh, Southgate, North London, and uh, stayed there till the early hours. Somebody had organised it, laid on a bit of food and that. Um, so I suppose that was just a reflection of the times. Nothing, nothing flash. Uh, celebrating with a lot of the fans who'd heard we were heading for this snooker club called Winners. Um, yeah, no, it, was, it was a brilliant night. Stepping into the 90s then, obviously you won the league again in 91. How did that compare? Because it was an Arsenal team that only lost one game, if I remember rightly, that season. You were top scorer as well. How did that season compare to the 89 season and team? Well, that, I mean, it wasn't without its hiccups, but we did win it more comfortably. We won it with... Uh, a couple of games to spare, uh, and that was after having two points deducted mm -hmm. following a, a brawl at Old Trafford. Uh, we'll talk about that in a minute. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it was a 20-man brawl. I was one of the two not involved, I think. I, I initially went in to try and calm things down, but you know that was going to be impossible, and everybody started throwing punches. It was a, it was a proper fight that, night, that day. But yeah, we got deducted two points, Manchester United won. And at that point, I think all our fans thought we'd handed the title to Liverpool uh, because then I think they increased their lead and um, we just couldn't believe it. But 
George Graham got us all together. It was filmed, actually, for the Arsenal video and just reminded us that uh, we had to keep going, that, you know, it was that siege mentality that he created. Everybody wants us to fail. Everybody's against us at the moment. And let's let's kick on now. Let, let's win the title. And, you know, we were probably a better team in 91 than 89. We'd added uh, David Seaman. Mm-hmm. Uh, and as good as John Lukic was, Dave was a couple of notches above. And he had a brilliant debut year, conceding 18 goals. Uh, Anders Limpar came in, who was such a fine player. I mean, Brian, um, Brian Marwood was brilliant for me in 89. He set up so many of my goals. Anders was slightly different. But um, we were more experienced, I think, as a whole, obviously, having gone through 89. Um, a more complete team. And uh, the fact that we were able to win it, as I say, with two games to spare, just it was just a reflection of... Uh, our ability at that time. Mm-hmm. You mentioned that that brought Old Trafford there. We had, it was a question we had from Twitter as well from Jefferson Lake. I mean, we, we haven't really seen a lot of that, obviously, in the modern era. But it's, when you look back, it was, it was a bonkers brawl, wasn't it? It was, yeah. Um, I mean, the bad feeling had started in '88 in a quarter final of the FA Cup at Highbury when Nigel Winterburn got involved with uh, Brian McClare, who missed a penalty. Brian whispered a few pleasantries in his ear and that, and. Uh, it can't, that, that ill feeling continued. and I remember the ball was played up to me. Gary Pallister climbed above and, and headed it down and went into Dennis Irwin. And Nigel piled into Dennis Irwin with a, a shocking challenge, really. And then Brian McClare came in and started kicking Nigel on the floor. And that's when you know it, it all happened. And looking at the video, I, I see me striding in, you know, urging everyone to calm down. And Mickey Thomas and David Rocastle sprinted past <laughs> and started throwing punches and, and shoving everyone. Um, so it, it was a bit of a fight, and the two managers got involved, George Graham and Alex Ferguson, strode down the line and tried to calm things. So, you know, it, uh, in terms of uh, little scuffles on the pitch, this was right up there. Mm-hmm. Moving forward to uh, the following season, Ian Wright came in. I mean, for you, you'd been top scorer the season before. Did you see that as a threat, or was it? do you welcome that sort of competition? Well, it wasn't. I didn't see it as competition. When Wrighty came, I just thought that, that was a great signing. We hadn't made a signing after '89, and things went a bit stale in the ninth, uh, in the '89-'90 season. So George was determined that wasn't going to happen again. And you know, to get a player of Ian's ability, he'd been banging in the goals for Crystal Palace. He looked like the perfect partner for me. Mm. Um, but it's funny in football. Sometimes things don't work out as uh, you imagine them to. And we just couldn't click, really. Ian was such a maverick footballer, such a one-off, such an individual player. He, he just went off his instincts that it was difficult reading what he was going to do. And previous to his arrival, we'd always had a kind of a structure to our game. That went out the window a little bit uh, as we began feeding Ian at the earliest opportunity. And it really affected my game more than it should have, really. My confidence dipped alarmingly and my goals just, you know, one minute I was getting 25 goals in a season, the next it was three or four. So it was a really bad period for me leading up to my um, retirement. Uh, there were a couple of highlights, of course. I mean, how, there were. the 93 double, the, the, the famous Steve Morrow incident. I mean, what was that like after the after the game? After, you know, you, you'd won the cup, but then Steve Murray broke his arm. That must have been a bizarre sort of in, atmosphere in the in the dressing room. It, yeah, it was because we were all celebrating. I didn't see the uh, event as Tony hoisted up uh, Tony Adams hoisted up Stevie and then dropped him. 
then we saw a bit of a commotion going on, and we all gathered round, and, and, and then it, and then Stevie was ca- carried off. Um, so yeah, it put a bit of a dampener on it. But you know, we, we'd won the league cup, and he'd scored a goal, of course. So yeah, he was just gutted; he couldn't celebrate with the lads. Um, mm. But yeah, that was one of two cup finals, wasn't it, with Sheffield Wednesday? I think mm. we got sick of seeing their faces. <laughs> they were sick of seeing ours, really. But come the FA Cup final replay mm-hmm. on the Thursday night, um, which in itself wasn't a great game, but you know, thankfully we managed to win with uh, Andy Linningham's late goal. Mm-hmm. And and then the following season, uh, one of very few European highlights for English teams of the nineties, and and you're made played a classic part in it, of course. The goal against the, an absolutely fabulous Palmer team. What was that like for you personally to be such such a massive game and and get the winner? It was brilliant. It was like a port in a storm for me. Uh, it was a you know a, a highlight in a amongst a series of lowlights. Um, when I was, it just felt like hard work playing football. But uh, on that occasion. A bit like at Anfield, everything I tried came off, you know, my first touch and everything. I mean, most of my game involved just trying to hold it up and give the defence a breather because it was one-way traffic for most of the match. But, you know, I, I, I mean, I did get a few goals outside the box, but that was certainly my most important from uh, from that kind of distance as it bounced up. Uh, hit it with my left instinctively. It was quite high. I had to just have a little hop and hit it with my instep and... Um, just cannoned off the inside of the right-hand post. Um, so from that point on, it really was a question of keeping... I mean, this Palmer side, Jean, uh, Luc, uh, Gianfranco Zola, sorry, Asprilia, who went who went to Newcastle later, Thomas Brolin, mm. who was a fine player back then. You know, he was a big star uh, in Italy and in Sweden. Um, they had half of Italy's World Cup team for that year that went to the States, um, got to the final. And, you know, we had suspensions. Ian Wright was out. John Jensen had done his cruise shirt. Smarting Keown failed a late fitness test. So we were right up against it. We really were. And uh, the fact that our back four, back five was probably at its peak at that time, you know, came to our rescue. We rode our luck, definitely. But, uh, yeah, it was a brilliant night. I mean, the, the stadium was full of Arsenal fans. There weren't many Palmer fans really turned up. It felt like Highbury. Mm. I remember going out for the warm-up and, the banners and flags, scarves everywhere. We got a, you know, a really huge reception, and we, you know, we went back in to get ready for kickoff, and thought, well, we've got to do this justice now, lads. You know, <laughs> all these fans have come, come across to support us, so we were determined. Mm. Well, I've just been in the book, and the following season is obviously where you mentioned the lows, the injury, which I, did it start a Millwall, believe in the FA Cup? Is that how it began? And then yeah. George Graham sacking. It was kind of. Till the beginning of the end, unfortunately for you, wasn't it, that following season? It was. I mean, I've got a real rollicking off George. New Year's Eve of 94, I mean, I wasn't playing well at all, but he just, I thought he just went over the top a bit with his criticism. But, you know, things were bubbling under for George at that time with the bong issue, and I think his behaviour changed. Um, and then in the January, just down by the corner flag, FA Cup third round at, at the New Den, um, tore my cartilage, had to come off, you know, cartilage tear, nothing too bad, bad. Um, you're thinking you'll be back in four or five weeks, whatever, but when they uh, operated, they, they discovered bone damage, and I had another op- operation to try and stimulate growth, but it didn't happen, so it was a really quick turnaround from being a footballer, you know, in January to June, I think it was, the surgeon telling me that um, it was all over, so I mean, that was 
it was a crushing moment for me. Um, so I was 32, which isn't young, but, you know, I'd like to have gone on for a few, yeah, more, few more years. Yeah, years, like the, the back four lads did, Merce as well. Um, so, yeah, it was a really difficult time, but, you know, you've got to get your head down and try and do something else, really. You can't feel sorry for you. You just miss the lads as much mm. as the football. You know, going in, you've got all those friends having a laugh in the dressing room before training, during and after. And all of a sudden, you're cut off from that. So I just tried to describe in the book uh, what that feeling was like and how I tried to uh, turn the corner. Mm. Well, let's quickly just talk about England before we've got a couple of Twitter questions as well. Um, you've got 13 caps, probably should deserve more in my opinion. Um, your best, obviously remember that incident at Euro 92. I mean, what was that like to the Gary Linder coming off you coming on? What was it like in the dressing room afterwards knowing that it was Gary's last minute, uh, last game and you were the one that came on from him? Is that something that was talked about or how did how did that feel? Yeah, I mean, um, we're all obviously gutted. We're out of the tournament, so we're all slouched in the dressing room. But I, I, I remember somebody saying, congratulations, Gaz, on your, on your marvellous career. It wasn't Graham Taylor. I think it was one of the lads, and we all applauded him. Uh, it was the worst possible way for him to duck out. And as it turned out, that was the end of my England career, although I didn't know it at the time. But, um, uh, yeah, it was, a, it was a strange old situation. I mean... Graham Taylor was having a chipping away at Gary during the match for not holding it up and everything. And then he told me and Alan Shearer to get warmed up. So we did, and we're thinking, right, one of us is going on to, uh, to partner Gary. We needed a goal. Uh, Shearer was just a young boy at that time. Mm. He'd only uh, won a cap or two. But um, he called me back, or at least I think he did. He, he said, Alan, Alan, come back. So I, I, I beat Shearer to it. And uh, Whipped <laughs> up my tracksuit top, and uh, it was only then that you see Gary coming off and me going on. Oh, you don't have time to think about it. You just mm. think, right, you know, my country needs me. I've got to try and do something here. But uh, it was to no avail. I think I hardly got a kick. And Thomas Brolin, uh, who we just talked about, scored a wonderful goal, yeah. and we were out, and that was it. Mm. And how do you look? I mean, England caps, I mean, it's still the pinnacle for you. You scored two goals in, in 13 games. It, it's still something you look back on with pride, pulling on that shirt. Oh, definitely, yeah. You know, looking back, I mean, 13 caps, you could argue, I don't know. I mean, every time you pull on that shirt, you've got to realise that there's nobody else in the country better placed to be centre forward. You are the best centre forward this country can produce. So that is a marvellous feeling. The line up at Wembley, national anthem. Um, I got the winning goal against Turkey at Wembley in the European Championship qualifier. You know, and your, your parents, your mum and dad are in the stand. So it, it's absolutely fantastic. I loved every minute of my time with England. I really did. Even when I joined up and I didn't get a kick, um, I, I absolutely loved it. We've got a few questions from our uh, listeners. Uh, Lee Adams asked, your favourite Arsenal shirt you played in? Obviously, you played in the famous banana, bruised banana shirt. Yeah, we all hated that when it came out. <laughs> I mean, I think, you know, there's, there's talk of it coming again. I yeah. don't know what it's going to look like. I, obviously, Arsenal having Adidas um, again. I love those Adidas shirts. Uh, and I think the 89 kit, both the red and white and the yellow and blue, uh, they were my favourites. Um, definitely uh, a few years later we went on to Nike but uh, those early Adidas kits were my favourites yeah I'm with you on that one uh, Rob E says how did you feel about that one yellow card you got in your career yeah I mean it was a funny one really I'm, looking back I'm quite pleased I got it you know yeah. 
you get a letter off the FI that's sent to the club. To, reasons for it, it was for ungentlemanly conduct and delaying the taking of a free kick. I had a little scuffle with Graham Hyde, who was a midfielder for Sheffield Wednesday, and we both went to ground, and I just knocked the ball away with my hand. The ref had already given a free kick, but I just knocked the ball away to give myself time to get up and into position, and he booked me for it. So uh, a gasp from the Arsenal fans, you know, you can't book Smudger. But, um, <laughs> yeah, it, it was easier not to get booked yeah. then, I'll have to say. I mean, Gary Lineker famously went through his entire career without yeah. uh, getting cautioned, but... Uh, you know, I didn't used to back chat to the ref too much, didn't do too many tackles, so uh, it was a bit easier. Um, mm. The odd missed time challenge, you wouldn't get booked for that then in the way that you do now. I hate yeah. to see refs produce a yellow card when it's a fraction of a second out. An honest challenge for the ball, you know, what do you want players to do? Just not bother tackling? Um, that's a bit of a bugbear of mine. Mm. Uh, Hopper and Son says, Ian Selly loved him. What went wrong, Alan? What went wrong with Sells? Yeah. His injury, wasn't it? Yeah, he, had, he broke his leg. Yeah. Um, How good could he have been? Because I know he, at the time he was rated quite a, a highly as a youngster, wasn't he? He was. Really good footballer. I mean, he wasn't the strongest boy. He was really wiry frame. But he was he was a good player. So, I mean, listen, you just never know, do you? But yeah. he did have managed to stay fit. He did a great job in the uh, Cup Winners' Cup final alongside um, Stevie Morrow and Paul Davis, who was the only senior throw in that midfield. Um, so that's where luck comes into it. You know, I managed, thankfully, to stay injury clear for the majority of my career. I only got like little hamstring pulls and that. I fractured my cheekbone in 89, but um, that was the worst of it, really, until I had to retire. So you have to feel for people like Sales who break the leg and sometimes you lose your momentum. Uh, last one of these from Bobby G I have a figure, football figure of you from the early 90s that looks nothing like you do you own one or do you remember the football figure yeah that little plastic one yeah I've, yeah. I've got one somewhere yeah <laughs> yeah. I thought it was quite a good likeness myself. <laughs> there you go brilliant well final one from me and we always ask this who would be the best player you played with and the best player you played against during the 90s it's always difficult isn't it because how do you compare a defender to an attacker yeah. uh, I mean I play with two of the best finishers of their generation in Gary Lineker and Ian Wright but I love playing with Paul Merce and I really did love playing with Merce I mean David Rowcastle was magnificent when he was a younger boy and I played with Gazza for England I mean I could name so many but yeah. I played with Gazza in his pomp Brian Robson was was marvellous best players against I played against a couple of German centre-halves at Wembley, Jürgen Kohler and Thomas Buchwald, somebody Buchwald anyway, and, and they didn't give me a kick. They just won the World Cup the year before. They were monsters. Um, so, yeah, yeah, you tend to remember those ones that uh, make life hard for you. You mentioned Gazza there. We always ask, is any Gazza story you can tell us? There's normally one that, that everybody has. Well, I shared a room with him with England. God knows why they put me with him. Maybe they thought... <laughs> I was going to calm him down, but it didn't work because he, he never sat still for a second. But uh, I remember one trip to Russia, I tell in the book, and uh, we, me and Gaza and, uh, you know, obviously the B team, we played the one day, the England B, and the, the full side were playing the next. So we were on the coach having watched the, the senior team, and we were sat out on the coach in the square waiting for the lads to, to get changed, and then we were flying away the next day back home. Gazza was getting bored on the coach and he got this big wad of rubles out of his pocket and decided to slip them through the sunroof at the top of the coach. 
And of course, when the coach moved away, they all fluttered in the air and caused a riot in the square behind us, really. And um, the, the uh, soldiers with the trench boots and the big khaki overcoats and that weren't happy. And this one bloke with his uh, rifle slung over his shoulder marched onto the bus and decided to pick on me. And he started screaming at me in Russian, made me stand up and everything. Everyone else is looking with a petrified expression. He's eventually gone away. I'm, I'm thinking I'm going to get arrested or something, but Gazza's on the back, side, the back seat, crouched down, giggling away. That, that was just him. He, he was just always up to something. Yeah, indeed. Well, it's been brilliant to speak to you, Alan. Uh, good luck with the book, and um, I'll try to speak to you again soon. Thank you. Hi, this is Elton Wellsby, and you're listening to Alive and Kicking, the outstanding 90s football podcast. Good stuff from Smudger, as he's called there. Um, from uh, good, some good memories, and even talked about that bruised banana kit as well. Greg, you looking forward to Adidas coming back next season? Yeah, I am. I, I'm a little bit perplexed by why so many Arsenal fans love the the, the bruised banana kit because the, the the game that I most remember it for is is losing at Wrexham. Yes, uh, I mean we did win the. Uh, the, the two cups the, the following season when that kit was in play but it wasn't used very much so it certainly wasn't used at Wembley um, so I I wouldn't be bringing it back thinking it was a, it was a lucky mascot let, let's just say that yeah, that's a good point actually I can't remember a game that stands out that you're wearing it it was it's more just the fact that it's a ridiculous design um, that everybody remembers actually yeah it's like when Spain brought back the um, the kit they had this summer for the World Cup that was based on their um, mid-90s kit which they won nothing in which was a bit yeah. bizarre as well um, anyway let's get back to, to I could talk about kits all day as you know so that's, we've got two more seasons to talk about as we've already mentioned before that interview um, the, the Wenger versus Ferguson era just about kicked off uh, and 97-98 was pretty much where it really started to get red hot this was the season that uh, Arsenal won the Premier League for the first time. The first game, I remember watching this vividly, this game, 9th of November, 1997. I was in my room with my old friend, Craig Jeffries. Um, I don't think we were cheering anyone on in particular because I'm a QPR fan. He was a Millwall fan, but we, you know, Super Sunday was our tradition. We used to sit there, watch it and, and, and get on whatever, and try and cheer on some of the teams. Um, and this was a back and forth game. And Greg, you said earlier that, you know, live games, this was live. And yes. I, uh, one of the most entertaining games, I think, of that era, but doesn't get really... Re- played as much as some other games that get overplayed oh, this this game was end to end it had a comeback and of course David Platt's probably most famous input as an Arsenal player I'd say oh definitely I mean he wasn't he wasn't really involved that much in the 97-98 uh, season for Arsenal and that that, that was his last season at, at the club but um, I mean this was a game that that had everything and I think I think it was one of the games that, that you can look back on at the end of the season and say well what what happened there played a large part in in why Arsenal went on to win the league. It was it was Nicola and Elka's first goal for the club, yeah. and uh, although Ian Wright was still um, first choice at that time, he, he would eventually get an injury in January, and which would rule him out for pretty much the rest of the season. And then Anel could have had a long run, and that that first goal uh, is it's always important to to get an early goal to get the fans on your side, and and they obviously did with that one. And then the era's great strike, where um, I think a lot of people forget that he, he injured himself in the process of celebrating in, in that one. Um, so it was uh, and missed, uh, missed a few games, I think, after that. And, and although Arsenal won that game, they were very inconsistent 
in in the first half of that season. So that although it was a key game, it certainly wasn't a game that uh, that put them on a on a long run from that point. And then and then another thing you can say is if if you were to make a list of players. Arsenal fans would least like to score again <laughs> over the last 30 years. I think most would put Teddy Sheringham very, very high on that list. So, so for him to score two goals wasn't wasn't the best. Um, but fortunately, as you as you mentioned, there was a happy ending for us at least. Mm, a big header from David Platt and that Vieira goal, another peach. I didn't mention the Merson goal earlier as well, which was another goal in this uh, rivalry during the decade, which is a great one. Uh, Matthew, we'll talk quickly for you because this isn't the season you want to remember. But this this is some game even to be on the the bad end of it. Yeah, I think, I mean, Greg says it didn't make a, well, I suppose it did make a big difference at the, in terms of the season, but it, in terms of the rivalry, it, it was sort of, it, it was, and I don't want to keep saying how it lit the blue touch paper, because that blue touch paper is probably long burnt out by now, but it, it started off that sort of series of epic games, didn't it, between the between these two, you know, Wenger and, and Ferguson and, and United and Arsenal, and, and you could almost... By this stage of the rivalry, you could almost guarantee that there was going to be something at stake. Um, not always in terms of points, but there would be there'd be something. There'd be a, a, a clash between these two teams, and, and this was certainly one. And like I say, it didn't at the time. It didn't really feel like it was going to be um, significant because as the season went on, um, Arsenal sort of were, were lagging behind somewhat. But obviously, as we know, as it turned out. Um, it, it it was significant. It was a it was a, it was a significant um, result in terms of uh, for Arsenal and for the for the Premier League um, season as a whole. Mm, indeed, and then the, the return fixture, one of the most famous games of the of the nineties, fourteenth of March, nineteen ninety eight, Manchester United nil, Arsenal won the Mark Overmars goal. Um, Arsenal, it was first ever goal at Old Trafford in the Premier League, which I didn't realise until I, I, read, I read that today. Um, they trailed United by 12 points in December, um, but this was the game that pretty much put them on the road to the title. Greg, in, in all your 40 years you've mentioned <laughs> as an Arsenal fan, where does this game rank? Yeah, okay. I mean, fortunately, as an Arsenal supporter, four years later, I, I was again at Old Trafford to, to see them actually win the league yeah. at Old Trafford. So, so it can't rate as highly as that but it's uh, it's it's clearly not not too far behind and um it's especially with the the manner of the performance because this this wasn't a, a sneaky little 1-0 win um i mean mark overmars terrorized john curtis that day he had a, a stonewall penalty denied and they had they had plenty of chances as did uh, man united had a few and alex manning who had a, had a good game but i, th- I think overall Arsenal re- really deserved to to win this game, and it, and it, and it, it set them on a they 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 just started to go on a run, but uh, this was the game where they really started to believe that uh, that they actually were still in with a chance of of winning. And um, Matthew touched on the on uh, on the previous game and 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 said that there 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 wasn't anything. Um, Although, although, although it was a, it, it was an interesting game, etc. There, there wasn't any particular spark, and I, I think, I think probably the reason for that is that in ninety seven, ninety eight, there was no Roy Keane involved. Mm. So those those two games were more football games than the uh, than the games that, that preceded it, uh, the, the following season, when there was always a lot, uh, a, a lot more tough tackling going in. Mm. Yeah, there was the famous, all the sort of the famous images. Well, of that bloke celebrating in the crowd we spoke to yeah. uh, about before, and Martin Taylor's famous commentary. And it it led to Arsenal winning the league 
um, and the cup double that season in Arsene Wenger really cementing his role in this sort of second half of this 90s rivalry and going into the next decade. However, Man United's reply would come the next season. Um, Matthew, this is a season we've talked about at length, so I'm going to get Greg's view in a minute because we've probably never done that. Um, but one game, Matthew, I hadn't really ever spoke to, I don't think we've spoke at length for, is the first game that season. Obviously, you lost in the Charity Shield, um, but on the 20th of September 1998, Arsenal blew away Man United in this opener, um, with Freddie Lundberg scoring on his debut as well. I mean, at that point, I bet the treble sent, seemed a million miles away, didn't it? Yeah, but I mean, United were famously slow starters in, in this, well, probably throughout the 90s, really, or the whole of the, uh, that sort of Ferguson, that great um, era that he, he had. Quite often, you'd even at Christmas time, you wouldn't have your mortgage on United to win the league, even though more, more times than not, they went on to, to win the league. So there, there was nothing unusual about United getting turned over in September, October. I mean, we've spoken before about those, you know, the famous Southampton game, the yeah. Newcastle game. You know, it, it did happen quite often. So it, it almost seemed like it was part of the, uh, the the change of the seasons, really. As soon as Awesome came around, United were going to be off the pace and were probably going to hide him from a, a rival that was looking to go on and challenge them uh, for the league, like we thought uh, Newcastle would when they that in that famous five... Nil was it? Yeah, five, five nil, nil, wasn't yeah. it? Yeah, um, and then as Fergie always says, you don't look at the league table until Christmas, and it it's a bit of a cliche, and especially now nowadays with you know Sky and putting the league table up after one game and all that kind of stuff, you can see what he means because it really, obviously, it means stuff. I mean, the game that we just spoken about there, that those that the points at Highbury there obviously meant something in the scheme of things when Arsenal went on to win the league in 98 but um, it, you can read a lot into things that maybe you shouldn't do and I, I think my view was at the time was not to panic and I think a lot of teams would have probably beaten United back in those you know, in September, October maybe got a bit carried away and thought oh you know this is our chance and then got lured into a, a battle that United obviously won in the, in the long run and that's not arrogance at all that's just I think that's just the way Ferguson was with his teams and he knew what a long season it was going to be there was ultimately going to be a cup run or two there was Europe involved and um, so yeah I wouldn't have said I don't remember this game being a particularly a, a panic stations um, and um, ultimately it proved, proved not to be the case from an Arsenal point of view I, I'm not sure whether there was a sort of a high hopes and um, expectations at the time but um, from from my point of view, I thought it was almost sort of a almost a run-of-the-mill defeat prior to Christmas for United, and then you almost expected them to kick into gear come come January, which thankfully they often do. Mm. I, I watched this game on holiday. Yay! Log um, cabin? No, I was in a holiday camp, Thornis Bay in the Isle of Wight. Um, I was in the, the clubhouse, as they called it. I was staying in a caravan. Um, but yeah, I watched this game. I remember that watching it on my own because I was, you know, at this point I was at that age where I didn't want to go on holiday with my parents, but I still had to. So I was watching this game in the bar on my own, and uh, yeah, two pints. Yeah, I might have snuck a beer in. I think I think one of the <laughs> yeah. uh, the um, holiday reps shouldn't have done. Probably cost him his job, bless him. Um, but uh, yeah, snuck, snuck me a beer. But I watched this on the Sunday afternoon. Uh, the return fixture, seventeenth of February, nineteen ninety nine. Um, May United won, Arsenal won. But I think this season um, is really about the FA Cup as we already mentioned and Greg I used to have a friend who was a big Arsenal fan um, He, the mantra for him this season is we should have stopped them because in every competition 
it could have well not the Champions League but certainly in the FA Cup and the league he felt that Arsenal were better and should have won is that the view that all Arsenal fans remember well, from this season I think it would be silly to say better but there was so little to choose between the two teams that season and mm. Manchester United supporters probably won't think that they they won the treble Arsenal won nothing but Arsenal were with with two games to go when when Manchester United dropped points at Liverpool, the ga- the the title was in Arsenal's hands with two games to go. So you can't say that uh, Manchester United strolled to the, the league title that season, and Arsenal were in a penalty of winning the FA Cup semi final. So I, I think it's probably fair for for your your friend to <laughs> to to feel as uh, I mean the, um, the 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 FA Cup replay for me was the the apotheosis of the Arsenal v Man United yeah. games of that decade. And, and it's a game as a, as a football supporter. I'm talk, talking about football here. I'm not talking about life that I will, I'll never recover from. Um, not, not completely. It's the, it, it's the best game of football I, I ever saw live, but it's one of those game, one of those few games that, that changed the course of, of football history. There, there, there would have been no treble winners had, uh, had Dennis Bergkamp, mm-hmm. Put that penalty away, and even even without that, Manchester United were down to ten men in extra time. They had the, the, they they had the initiative. It, it, it was there for Arsenal to take. Mm, no, this is perfectly put there. That's exactly what I was going to going to say as well, Matthew. This is the game, isn't it? That, that sums up specifically this part of the of the rivalry in the nineties. This is the game. Wenger, Ferguson, the two teams at the very very top of of the game at the time. This is is one for the archives, isn't it? Absolutely, this game, and, and like we say, we said this. I mean, we've spoken about the season probably at least three times before. But as Craig said, then, it, yeah, a week before, it probably was in our well, it was in Arsenal's hands because United drew at Liverpool away, didn't they? And dropped. Yeah. I mean, I'd love to see what the odds were. I mean, being a betting man, but I mean, these days, you a betting you'd man, pro- you'd probably, yeah, I'm surprised I didn't have a few quid on it. Yeah. But um, I just think, you know. It's, there's every chance that Arsenal would have probably been favourites to win the double that going into the last week of that season, really. As much well, as that, that sounds, would have been. I mean, had would... Arsenal beaten Leeds away, Jimmy Floyd which, Hasselbank, yeah, which they, which again, Cabadiawara never scored a goal for Arsenal. Probably should have had a hat trick that day. Had had they won the last two games, they'd have won the league. Simple as that. And but... when you when you're top of the league. You probably expect to win the last couple of games. Did you? Did you? I mean, from a you know, in, in sort of title run-ins and, and cup runs and what have you that we've all witnessed down the year. I mean, did you have that confidence, or did you have that feeling of, oh, we're not going to? Because I know United often put the fear into people with their sort of late surges and, and that sort of United factor that they obviously did have. But well, that was you... the thing because because Arsenal also had a, a poor first half of that season Arsenal also had a, a surge They, we, we said we wouldn't get Middlesbrough in but Arsenal beat Middlesbrough 6-1 not, uh, not, not, not long before that they also um, stuffed Wimbledon 5-1 so they were on they were on a good run and uh, that Liverpool game was the same night that Arsenal won 3-1 at Tottenham so yeah. do, you think, do, you, do you think Arsenal supporters that night thought that we weren't going to win the league? Well I, I would assume it was you almost, would but it was almost uh, when when uh, when uh, as Paul Ince was now I think who yeah. got that last gasp. Yeah, but when when that went yeah. in, we we almost thought, well, it's uh, it's 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 destiny now. Yeah. No, it's interesting because, like you say, history over time, obviously, it's remembered for United winning the treble, and, and it was a fantastic achievement. Um, but 
it's interesting to hear someone else's point of view to think that because so often you speak to people and they say, oh, I remember playing United, but you just knew that they were going to come back and you just knew that they were going to score. And not seeing it from that point of view, sometimes I'd say, well, I didn't. I didn't think that at all because you sort of, you don't, do you, as a fan? You sort of think the worst case scenario. But it's interesting to hear that that view from your point of view that um, you actually did think that you were going to win the league and probably should have won the uh, the cup at the same time. So, And, and it, it was obviously... You never rely on anyone to get anything from Manchester United. So obviously, on the last day of the season, even though Tottenham went one, uh, even Tottenham went ahead, nobody, ever, hand, yeah. nobody at Arsenal really believed that uh, that they were going to go on to win that game. Mm. But uh, but it was actually in our when it was in Arsenal's hands to win those two games for Bergkamp to get that penalty. Then Arsenal were reigning double holders. So why should they not? No, no, it's interesting because I mean, did you think when Burkamp stepped up for that penalty? I mean, you had no doubts, or did you? I mean, oh no, no, I certainly had doubts then because Arsenal were notoriously bad penalty takers around that time. I mean, the the, the following season, and again, I can get Middlesbrough in. Arsenal lost. <laughs> Greg, you've ruined the whole show. <laughs> <laughs> Arsenal lost three cup competitions on penalties, including the UEFA Cup final. So th- yeah. that was how bad. Arsenal, they 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 just they kept chopping and changing. So so no, I certainly wasn't confident then. What when I was confident was when uh, Anelka put the ball in the net, and I didn't realise the flag had gone up. Yeah, yeah. Well, I don't think anybody realised for about five minutes that Anelka no. was pretty much in the crowd celebrating, wasn't he? Oh, yeah. they all were. Mm. It's yeah. certainly it's certainly a game that they, it's a cliche, but it literally had everything that game, didn't it? I mean, it was a great game, and it, and the best thing about it was the, the pitch invasion at the end. You can't beat a good old-fashioned oh, Villa classic. Park yeah. semi-final, yeah. players being carried off on shoulders high. I just think oh. that's something that you don't, you just don't see anymore, obviously, because semi-finals aren't at Villa Park. But it was something that seemed to always happen at Villa Park, was fans running on from the side and, and carrying well, players off on the shoulders. Especially and, given how sort of lame the first game, the nil-nil, uh, the first yeah. it was. It was really like a forgettable... But that's, that's probably the most least talked about game in the, in this whole... In the history of football, probably. Yeah, in the history of football and the history of this yeah. subject, really, isn't it? Um, and what was also strange about that uh, that game, considering it was Arsenal-Manchester United, the, the, the two best teams in England at the time, I, I remember... Uh, going to get tickets for the, the replay at, up to Highbury the day before, and and I say I go up to queue that there was no queue. No, was, that's uh, true. Yeah, it, there, there was only I, I, I checked the crowd and it was thirty thousand, and I thought I thought it was even less. That there was certainly less at the at, at, at the kickoff. Yeah, because if that was now, there'd be all kinds of stink about ticket prices and who's getting to. But it, yeah, it'd be Wembley was, as well. It, well, yeah, yeah, they, they moved I mean, it to it, Wembley. But it was it wasn't uncommon then because you did have when replays came around they came around quite quick so yeah. there was obviously the I mean I remember going to um, Villa Park for a semi final against Crystal Palace and there are reasons for that because obviously a Palace fan had sadly died in a fight mm. before the first game but so a lot of Palace fans didn't go but I think the attendance was about twenty five thousand for uh, yeah. for the replay and it's just I mean now that really would make headlines whereas then mm. it was just sort of accepted that. It's a replay. People have got to get to work, and it just, yeah, you know, it's it's difficult to get to. But mm. but uh, yeah, it was it was different times, I suppose. Mm. 
Ah, well, that, well, that, for us, that's where the the rivalry ends. I mean, obviously, it went well into the two thousands. The Battle of Buffet, the Battle of uh, Old Trafford. There's many more. That's for another podcast. Um, but that's finish on a, on a question for both of you. If you could pick a favourite moment from this decade of the rivalry, um, Greg, coming to you first. What was your Arsenal Man United moment from the nineteen nineties? Uh, obviously, uh, obviously, a few do do stick out. But I would uh, I would have to say Mark, the Mark Overmars yeah. goal. And Matthew, is it a silly question? Is it Giggs' hairy chest? No, no, no. I mean, I could bend the rules here and say, could I count 89-90 as uh, as 90s? Go on then, I'll let you. Well, all right, I've got two answers. If I can include the 89-90 season. Not Michael Knighton, sure. Yes, the Michael Knighton game, because I was just so full of optimism at that game that day, as everyone else was, thinking that everything was going to change and it was all glorious and United... Beat the reigning champions 4-1 and Brian McClare missed another penalty against Arsenal. But um, if you're not going to let me have that one, which you shouldn't do really because it was technically August the 19th, 1989, um, I would probably say the uh, the League Cup, the Rumbelows Cup tie. Really? Uh, yeah. Oh, but purely because it was, as we've spoken about before, I, that was my, I was what, 14, 13, you know, as in my peak of, Football meaning yeah. everything to me then. Yeah, um, yeah when you're 26, 7 or whatever, it means slightly less or it did to me. But that, not just that, but like I said before, there was, an, there was a definite turning point for United in that season. United didn't go on to win that League Cup, but they beat Arsenal, they went on to beat Liverpool, they beat Leeds in a two-legged semi-final. There was just a sort of a, there was a real feeling behind the team in that competition. And, and so personally, this, that, game at Highbury but I suppose just to I suppose I'd have to say the Geeks Harry Chest but just for the purposes of this podcast but personally the, no the, I like uh, a personal one any, well, any memory that's the, got that kit in it Matthew I'm if nothing else the, yeah the, the Maple Leaf kit if nothing else if nothing else brilliant and while, while you're there where can people find you on the social uh, they can find me on Twitter at Matthew J Christ brilliant and Greg where can people find you if they want to talk Arsenal Man United or more importantly want to talk stickers exactly at Panini underscore book on Twitter yeah perfect that's there and uh, and we'll look out for more from Greg in the future if you want to follow the show follow at AK90s on Twitter at AK90s pod on Instagram I'm Ash Rose UK across all plethora of social network this has been rivalries on Alive and Kicking too hit us up on Twitter and let us know what rivalry you'd like us to talk about next and until next time keep it 90s Alive and